Good morning, Hillcrest family. Hey, guys. We have props. Come on. Props, right? It's going to be great. I'm excited. Are you excited? All right. Awesome. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you before, uh, my name is Eric Duncan, one of the pastors here, and uh, I am excited to be with all of you this morning. So thanks for gathering. Good to be together as the church. If you are worshiping uh, with us online, um, also welcome uh, to you, and um, grateful that you can tune in and, and worship uh, alongside of us uh, from home. So there you go. Uh, if you would like to grab a Bible, and or inside of your bulletin, the Bible passage is actually there for you. It's in uh, Luke chapter 12, is where we will be today. Luke chapter 12, so I'll give you a moment to kind of get your stuff settled there. If you're a note taker, you can get out your pen to take some notes there. Be in Luke 12, we'll be in uh, 13 through 21, we just kind of open that up and set that aside. We'll get there in just a couple minutes as we get rolling here. And uh, if you're a smartphone person, you can do that too. Just grab that and open on your phone. So, um, yeah, so Luke chapter 12 is where we are heading. Uh, so this morning, I want to begin by uh, sharing with you um, a meaningful quote from a profound theologian uh, who I follow. Um, she's uh, pretty well known. She's written several volumes of uh, really profound literature, um, Ariana Grande? Is that Ariana Grande, right? Yeah, profound theologian. Sorry, I was a little anticlimactic there with my clicker not working, right? You know. Uh, yeah, Ariana Grande, right? So, um, have you guys ever heard the song Seven Rings by her before? So, this is, she borrowed the melody from the Sound of Music song, These Are a Few of My Favorite Things. You know, these are a few of my favorite things. Uh, and so, she borrowed that melody, she changed the lyrics, and then she added a new chorus. So, can I, can, can we sing a little? Can I sing a little bit for you here? I'm not leading worship this morning, but like we can, I can still sing, right? Uh, so let me just share with you the the first uh, few verses. Some of the, like the high schoolers in the room right now are just like cringing. They're like, "Oh gosh, like the pastor's gonna sing Ariana Grande. What's going on?" Um, it's gonna be great, guys. Uh, so here we go. You guys ready? You guys ready? Breakfast at Tiffany's and bottles of bubbles. Girls with tattoos who like getting in trouble. Lashes and diamonds, ATM machines. Buy myself all of my favorite things. Yeah, yeah, nice, all right. And then the chorus gets even better, all right? The chorus is, it, goes, it goes, I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. Right, yeah? Any, have any of you ever heard that song before? A couple not? No? Okay. All right. A couple of you. Okay. And people are like ashamed to admit it. They're like, oh gosh, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've all heard the song before. You just don't want to admit it. Um, yeah, so I remember the first time I heard it, I was driving in my car. I rarely listen to the radio, but I just happened to have the radio on. And that song came on and I was listening to it. I was just blown away by the blatant celebration of consumerism in that song. I was like, this is incredible. Like, wow. And uh, I was working at the time at a restaurant uh, in Madison called Bartaco. And uh, anybody ever been to Bartaco? Anybody? Yeah? No? No? yeah? Okay, all right. So yes, um, I was working at Bartaco, and I had a fellow server who I worked with, and she loved Ariana Grande. She was like always talking. She was like, Ari's my girl, you know, and so um, so I decided to ask her about it. I, I talked to her I was, uh, the next day at work. I was like, hey, so I, I heard this song on the radio by Ari, and you know, I, I thought it was kind of shallow. Like, come on, like, why do, you, why do you like this song? And she was just like totally offended. 
that I didn't like this song and that I said it was shallow. She's like, it's not a shallow song. She's like, this song is about how as people we can work hard in order to have the ability to buy the things that we want so that people will respect us. I was like, wow, okay. Like that's, that's not how I heard it at first, but like, all right. And, and, and indeed, there is a lyric in the song that talks about how people won't respect you unless you have money. And when I thought about it that way, I realized like, you know, the song actually might be more relevant to me than I initially realized because it is true that I do have my own sets of insecurities in the areas of finances, money, and possessions. And uh, I remember just a few years ago, um, our family was in the midst of a financially precarious position ourselves. I left a great church and a great job in Cedar Falls, Iowa. We moved back to Madison specifically to help start a new church from scratch near the college campus, UW. And uh, in case you're not aware, like planting a new church from scratch, especially among college students and young professionals, is not exactly a recipe for financial stability, okay? so I remember filing my taxes like around uh, the kind of the couple years around that and I held nine jobs within a two-year period. Like, wow, right? But it was because we were trying to get this church off the ground. But then also I was like trying to pay the bills. <laughs> and so I just had like all these little side jobs like, such as Bartaco um, and things like that. And I remember like right in the midst of uh, that experience just having moments where I was like really asking myself the question, will I be able to provide for my family? And then the second question that follows, and what will people think of me if I can't? Right? What will people think of me if I can't? You ever had a thought like that? And, you know, frankly, that those types of questions don't go away even if you do suddenly have financial stability. And I do say, if you obtain financial stability, we're in the midst of a global pandemic right now and economic hardship is widespread. Maybe some of you who are watching or in the room right now are struggling yourselves and so financial stability is not a given at all. And yet for those of us who are able to attain some level of financial stability, nonetheless, then these other issues come up. Well, I mean, everybody that I work with, they all have like the newest iPhone and so is, are people going to, like, look down on me that I don't have, like, a really nice smartphone? Or, you know, the people that I work with, they all go out to eat at really nice restaurants, and they order expensive things, and, like, I don't know if I can, like, afford to do that. If I, if I go and I just order, like, a water and a side of french fries, like, are people going to judge me? You know, how's that going to go? Or, you know, everybody who is in my social circle, they all have these really big, impressive houses, but I can't afford a big house, and so I'm sort of scared to invite people over because, you know, I don't want to feel shame about my home or something like that right? Our paychecks and our possessions, they are very connected to our sense of identity, our sense of who we are, our sense of dignity sometimes. And so that's why it is a crucial topic that we talk about today. Uh, We are in the second week of a three-week series called Behind the Mask. Uh, We are in the pandemic. We are wearing pandemic masks, but from a more metaphorical perspective, we are talking about how as people we have a tendency to put forth masks, to to try to put forth something about ourselves that maybe is not true or that we want others to think about us because we have these insecurities that these masks can cover up. And um, 
So last week when David started us off, and he specifically uh, talked last week um, about the lie uh, of the mask of I am what I do, uh, I am what I do, and then this week we were talking about the lie I am what I have, my possessions, I am what I have. Uh, and, and two things that David brought up that I thought really insightful, why do people wear masks? Well, one, to hide their identity, and two, to change their identity. This is why people wear masks masks. And so metaphorically, the same thing is true. And so then uh, today, we're specifically going to apply this to the idea of money and possessions. And so uh, here's the big idea of today. Uh, We are easily fooled into wearing the masks of riches in hopes of gaining impressive earthly status. But Jesus bestows astonishing status upon us by grace, causing us to be people who desire to be rich toward God rather than toward ourselves. Right, so that's kind of where we are headed. And uh, so let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into uh, Luke chapter 12. Let's pray. Father, thanks uh, for your word. Thanks for your people. Thanks that um, we can be uh, gathered or watching from home. And thanks that we can hold your scriptures in our hands and study them and learn from them. That you can reveal yourself to us through them. We ask that that would indeed happen today. That we would feel a sense of conviction and be compelled towards your love and your goodness. In, uh, specifically in these areas of finances. Acknowledging that this is a crucial one uh, and so close to all of our hearts. So uh, we, we trust you at this time. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, then... Next slide here. Whoop. Well. All right. Luke 12. Here we go. Luke 12. We are going to be in 13. Jesus is speaking. He's teaching. Verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, so let's pause here for a second. So uh, Jesus is in a crowd, and in the midst of it, uh, probably a younger brother, probably a man who's a younger brother, is crying, is is sort of yelling out to Jesus from the crowd, this this sort of cry for justice, isn't he? In ancient Near Eastern culture, uh, inheritance, wealth, was passed through family, specifically through men. Now, we potentially have problems with that in the year 2020. (laughs) We have critiques we can make of that. Okay, different culture, different time, right? Um, So just explaining, the Bible's not affirming that that should be how it is, just simply the way that it was. So wealth passed through men, and specifically there was a practice where the eldest brother received a double portion of the inheritance. And so likely this is a younger brother— feeling bitter, right? Or, or maybe, I, maybe, I, maybe I'm sort of judging him there. Maybe I should say a younger brother who's struggling, financially struggling, perhaps. I don't know. Um, and having this older brother, and he's crying out to Jesus, Lord, my older brother, he's so selfish. He's got all this stuff. Divide, tell him to divide the inheritance with me. Now, we should also note we are in the book of Luke. Luke, as a book, is a, especially of all the books, really emphasizes the aspect of Jesus that cares for the vulnerable, the cares for the outcast. There are particular instances. Luke, the writer, goes out of his way to show us how Jesus cares for women who are very vulnerable in that time, for the foreigner, um, and for the orphan. And so there's this particular focus. And so here you, you see this person is, you know, crying out for justice. And so what do you sort of expect Jesus to do? You expect Jesus to be like, oh, yeah, your older brother. You know what? Older brother, like, yeah, come on, share, dude. Like, what's the deal? Like, share with your younger brother. But then we'll keep reading. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Verse 14. But he, Jesus, said to him, Man, 
Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Ooh, awkward, right? Like, not, not the answer. Now, all of a sudden, this younger brother wants to go and just, like, hide in the crowd, right? Like, ah, shoot, you know, he's not on my side. I thought Jesus was going to be on my side, but he's not. Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Verse 15, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness. You could also, some translations will just simply say greed, against all greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So in other words, the younger brother thought that he was crying out for justice, but Jesus said he was actually crying out for greed. Isn't that interesting, right? Oh, gee, God, I'm struggling, just struggling to get by. Like, things are, things are really, like, if, if, if I could just, you know, if I could just have a little bit more, of like, things are so not fair, things are so not just. Or maybe you're just greedy. Maybe you just actually want more that you don't need. Maybe, maybe or maybe you're genuinely struggling. It could be either one, right? There's a possibility that there's greed in there. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he tells a story. Verse 16, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, This night, your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And so Jesus tells this story of rebuke. And so I want to look in this story and think about what were the masks of riches? What were the masks that this younger brother was wanting to wear? The younger brother in this story, he falls in to believing this lie. If I just had more money, then I'd have fill in the blank. If I just had more money, then I'd be satisfied. If I just had more money, then people would respect me. If I just had more money, well, then I could stop feeling like I'm just trying to keep up with the bills all the time. If I just had more money. My lack of funds for this younger brother is causing a lack in my life, he feels. Since I don't have as much money as everybody else, well, that must mean that everybody else sees me as less than in some way. If I had more money, then I'd just have. And so I want to specifically dive into some masks that could be associated with this. And so hence my ladder here. And so this is sort of going to represent for us like the economic ladder the career ladder, the, the uh, financial ladder that we all seek to climb. And so um, I want to start out with what I think is the first thing, the first way that we fill in this sentence as we are just beginning on the economic ladder and perhaps struggling, and that is, if I had more money, then I'd just have dignity, right? I would just have dignity. And here's what uh, dignity says. My wealth proves I'm a capable person worthy of respect. My wealth proves I'm a capable person 
worthy of respect. I need people to respect me, right? And I need a certain amount of financial stability and well-being and, and like stuff just to sort of fit in and like be normal, you know, even though like normal is always judged by, well, I guess my peers, <laughs> like what is normal? I don't know, right? And so, but I just, I want this dignity. And then if you are able to establish a sort of foundational level of economic well-being, like you have enough, you can, you can literally just like pay the bills and survive, right, without going into debt or something. Then I think the next thing that we seek is status, right? If I just have more money, well, then I would have, Phil, where do I need to be pointing this? Where's Phil? He's not in here. Just pointing it back there? Okay. Great. Perfect. Thank you. Hopefully that'll work a little better. Um, so status, uh, yeah, I want status. My wealth grants me access to the kinds of people I aspire to be among. Like, let's just be real. Popularity contests didn't end in middle school. Not at all. Popularity contests continue. We know who the cool kids are at work. <laughs> we know who the people are. I want to be in the room where it happens, the room where it happens. Hamilton reference again. Sorry, guys. I love Hamilton, okay? Right? I want to be where the action is. I want to be among the people with status, you know? And so there's that. And then, if you obtain status... But I think the next thing that you want is leisure, right? Leisure. I'm chasing that. My wealth allows me to enjoy a life of comfort, and I want to post about it on Instagram, too, you know? Got to show everybody. This is a fancy restaurant I'm eating at. Got to show them my beach vacation. And so, my wealth allows me to enjoy a life of comfort. I want others to know about it. And then, if we keep going, you, you make it past all this, you're getting up to the top, right? Like you're becoming, you, you know, a person that is like, you know, you're climbing up there. You're like, I'm doing great, man. I'm getting pretty powerful up here, right? And so what is it then that we are seeking is the mask of power, right? Power. My wealth allows me to control the fate of others. I hire and fire people. I build companies and tear them down. I invest. I have power, right? That's something that we see. These are the masks that we wear. These are the outcomes that we chase through financial gain. And so, as we consider these masks, I want us to look back at the story for a second and um, think about why. Why? Why are we so drawn to these masks? Why is the younger brother so quick to believe this lie. If I just had more money, then I'd have blank. What, what's the reason? And so um, I want to talk uh, about the, um, the core deception. I might need your help, Tim, on slides because, yeah. The core, thank you, um, the core deception. Uh, believing, and so, I'll, I, and, I, and here's, here's what I think the core deception is in this story. Um, believing the material is all there is. Believing the material is all there is. This is what the man in the parable falls in to believing. Note in the little story that Jesus tells who the rich man is talking to, consulting with throughout the story. Who, maybe I'll have a little audience interaction too. Who's he talking to throughout the story? Anybody? Himself. Himself. Yes. It's one of those moments, actually. Um, so, well, look, verse uh, 17 says, And he thought to, here you say, And he thought to, 
himself, right? And then look in verse 19. This is one of those moments where the Bible's being funny. <laughs> like, like Luke, the writer, he actually wants you to like chuckle <laughs> when you read this. And I say to my soul, soul, right? It's hilarious. He's, he's talking to himself. He's convinced that the world consists of two things, himself and his stuff. And that's it. But then all of a sudden, another character enters the story out of nowhere. There's an intruder in the story, a minor character. God! (laughs) Right? Verse 20, but God, but God says to him, and all of a sudden he, he peeks his head in and he calls the man a fool. Why was he a fool? Because he failed to see all of reality as it is. He failed to see the unseen realm. He failed to see the most important part of the unseen realm, from whom all things which are seen come, God himself. It's not so shocking, really, right? I mean, that can happen to all of us. I think um, works kind of like this. I'll kind of use a little bit cliche, but I'll just use the Bible, sort of symbol here, to represent God. And, uh, and then, you know, we need stuff, right? Like, you got to have some stuff just to live. So you start with some basics, water. It's important, you know, got to have water. Some food, canola bars, kind bars. These things are awesome, by the way. I love these. Okay, you know, you kind of got to have that stuff. That's important. Um, and so, you know, got to get to work. Got to be able to drive. You know, car. So I need my car. Got to have that there. Okay, all righty then. And, uh, and then, um, you know, I've got, got some hobbies. Hobbies, anybody? Right? I'm a soccer player. Okay, got to have some soccer shoe here for, for that, you know. And then, um, you know, maybe, maybe a little higher on the economic ladder. Maybe you, got, maybe you got a boat. Okay, if you do have a boat, talk with me. I'd love to hang out sometime. All right. Um, but yeah, okay. So, uh, you know, uh, sorry, God, I'm just going to... Oh, I'm just going to put the boat on top of the Bible. I don't know. Oof. Okay, all right. Um, I like to work out. Ugh. It's only 10 pounds. It's about the best I can do, you guys. All right? Um, but, you know, just kind of put that right there. And then uh, my kids just want me to put this in. I don't know what it means, okay? Um, I get stuff for my kids. Uh, so, you know, pile, pile that up there. I like books a lot. I'm a big reader, okay? Um, so, you know, just, I can't, man, I'm running out of room here. I guess I might have to build some new barns or something. Like, I'm just running out of space. I... That sounds vaguely familiar, doesn't it? I don't know. Um, and, then, and then, like, I'm, I'm, I'm into music, and I like to record stuff. I tried podcasting a little bit at one point. Didn't really go anywhere, but it's cool. Um, and so, you know, there's that in, like, home decor, right? Got to have a candle here for home decor. And, and uh, um, I, like, I like a big golfer. Golfers? Golf? Anybody? Yeah? yeah? Okay, awesome. Awesome. I'm hunter. Hunting? Yeah? Binoculars, right? Got to have... Oh, just put it on the floor. It's cool. Um, right? What's happening? <laughs> Right? No, no. Let's be very clear here, right? Is there anything wrong with any of these things? No. These are good things, man. I love golf, all right? It's awesome. These are good gifts from God that we can enjoy. And in fact, when God gives us these types of good gifts, he gives them so that we see him in them. And we go, what an amazing God that he creates such incredible things that we can enjoy. Wow. But on the other hand, it can creep in and all of a sudden we start putting all of our focus and our time and our 
energy and our passion and our creativity just towards these things. And we don't even remember that like underneath the clutter somewhere, there was a God who gave it all in the first place, right? And so we end up in this place that says, yeah, these things are good. And in fact, material things, they do bring some measure of life. But we are wrong when we fall into believing that wealth and possessions are all that there is. See, and this is the power of a parable, and it's the power of Jesus' teaching. This is not just some hypothetical story from 2,000 years ago. No, this is a compelling accusation that still holds deep relevance in our lives today in 2020. Because this passage is saying that for anyone who puts the majority of your focus on the material, one day God is going to come to you. And he's going to call you a fool. And he'll take it from you. And what will you be left with then? See, if, if you're a person who all that you have is the material, that if that's taken away, then you're left with nothing. But on the other hand, if you have a person who pays attention to the unseen and who worships the God who is the creator and giver of all good things— then even if someone comes and takes away all that you have, guess what? You're still rich anyway because you still have all of the most important things. Singularly, you have this God who you've been reconciled with through the blood of Jesus that you've been made right with him and worship him and be his child. But then in addition to that, you have your integrity and you have your character and you have warm relationships with people and you have the people of God who can come around you and help to provide for you. And you have an eternity, an, an, a fixed hope that you can set your heart fully on as we've talked about through First Peter over these last couple months. And so there's all these things that you still have if, if you are rich towards God. And that's what, where I want us to go next. And that's where the passage goes. At the end of the passage, it says, so it will be with those who lay up treasure for themselves and are not rich towards God. So there's sort of this contrast. You can lay up treasure for yourself or you can be rich towards God. Those are the options on the table. And so what does that mean now? What does that look like to be rich towards uh, God then? Um, quick here. We'll come back to that. Uh, yeah, so what does it mean to be rich towards God? Well, if being deceived led us to wearing masks, then what does life look like when we know the truth and when we take the masks off? Well, here's the first thing that I just want to note even about the language of that idea. Notice that it says laying up treasure for yourself or being rich toward God. Notice it doesn't say uh, laying up treasure for yourself or being in poverty and godly. Now, indeed, there might be godly people in poverty. That is definitely a, a possibility. But it says rich towards God. You guys, God doesn't want you to be poor. You might, you might end up poor and still be God. That's a possibility. I'm not guaranteeing you that you're going to be wealthy just because you follow God. That's not the scriptural teaching. But there is a richness that comes from life with God. God doesn't want you to be poor. He just wants you to be rich in the right ways. In the most meaningful ways. And I'll tell you, for me, as I think about the people I've known over the course of my life, as I think about the older saints who 
have just walked with God for years. I think about just their persona and just kind of what leaks out of them as you are around these types of people. It's beautiful and it's compelling and they give life. They exude abundance just from their soul. It doesn't matter how much stuff they have. There's just an abundance about people who have walked with God for years. They are rich toward God. And so God doesn't want us to be poor, but he does want us to be rich in the right ways, and that means rich towards him. And so, let's look at the ladder again then. Let's say, okay, well, what happens if I get up the ladder then from a perspective that seeks to pay attention to God? Well, let's start with dignity. So here's the beautiful thing as a follower of Jesus, is they don't get your dignity from your paycheck. No, you get your dignity from Jesus. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1 says that God made human beings in the image of God to be his ambassadors and representatives throughout the world. And so we are precious and honored in his sight. And so we, we just, like, dignity is just, it's just the ground level on the redeemed side of this. It's just the found, it's a given for all of us. And then, uh, John 1.12 says that for anyone who would receive him, referring to Jesus, who would receive Jesus, who would trust in him, his name, he'd be given the right to become children of God. We have this incredible status that comes that we are now children of God, not because we're good in of ourselves or because we earned it, because we climbed our ladder to get there. No, because Jesus just bestows it upon us by grace. And so instead of fighting for dignity, if you're kind of you know, you're just getting on to uh, the ladder here and you're struggling to provide and you're struggling to, to make enough. God invites us to trust. To trust, not to dignity. Trust. My worth comes from God and I trust him to provide. I trust him to provide. And it is... I don't want to minimize, like, it's hard to be here. It's hard. Many of us have been there. Some of us are there right now. So I don't want to minimize that. But there's an invitation to trust and to realize you already have your dignity. And then, if as a follower of Jesus, you have enough and you can pay your bills, praise the Lord. Then, what's after that? Are we, are we chasing status? No. We chase integrity. We chase integrity. That's what we desire I'm more concerned about my interior life than my exterior life. I long to be a person of character. And I mean, I think that one of the reasons why we have like a generation of young people right now who are walking away from the church is really not all that much about the Bible or about Jesus or who he actually is. It's because we've got a whole lot of Christians who are more interested in status and in power than in integrity. When it comes to how we spend our money, when it comes to how we deal with issues of race and racism, when it has to do with issues of politics, we want status and power instead of integrity. And young people are just walking away. But no, we care about our internal lives. Who are we inside? Right? That's, what, that's what's important. And then, if we make it beyond there and we're climbing the ladder as a Christian and you're becoming like wealthy and you've got some extra... Do you pursue the beach vacation? I mean, once again, nothing wrong with beach vacation. It could be fine. It could be good. But 
What are you, what are you mainly pursuing? Not leisure, but rest. Rest, that's different. It's different. God's rest, Sabbath. Rest. Life with God brings refreshment that prepares me for service. And my rejuvenation, my rest, it comes just from like sitting in the scriptures. It comes from prayer. It comes from like God's life just filling me in powerful ways. It comes from rest. And then, if you're climbing and you're, you're like all the way up there, man, you just... The follower of Jesus, there's just a lot of resources and a lot of opportunity. You're not seeking power, you're seeking impact. Seeking impact. My wealth allows me to bless others and serve God's purposes around the world. I mean, really, generosity pervades all of this. I mean, even when you're, that, when you're here, like, like still, there's still generosity. It's hard and it looks different, but there's sacrificial generosity along the whole way. But in, but in particular, as you get up towards the top of the ladder, it's like, wow, like all of a sudden, man, you can have some incredible impact. And I'm not looking for power. I'm looking to be a blessing. I'm looking to serve others. I'm seeing to influence the world and my community for Jesus because I believe that's what will bring life and flourishing to all. And so this is the redeemed side of the ladder then. So I want us to look at some, uh, some takeaways then. Here's one takeaway for us. Uh, who do you consult with when you make financial decisions? Who do you consult with? Are you like the rich man in the story? Just kind of having a really great dialogue with yourself, <laughs> right? Uh, or do you open up the line of communication with God? Is there prayer? And I would challenge you to this one. Do you open up the line of communication with the people of God? People in your life group? Christian friends? Would you be comfortable just opening up all of your spending to your closest Christian friend? Would you be comfortable with that? It's a very powerful practice, right? We talk as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be open and honest, candid, right? But then in finances, we kind of go, oh, need to look at that. You don't need to know about that. What would it look like if the next time you go to make a significant purchase, you just have a real conversation. You're, you're looking for a house. You're looking at a particular car. You're thinking about maybe a, a larger, newer purchase, whatever it might be. And you go to a friend who knows Jesus and say, hey, what do you think about this? You know, here's, here's kind of where I'm at in my budget. Here's kind of things I'm thinking about, you know. And have them tell you, right? That could be powerful. You know that? And here's another one, our last one. Consider which of the masks you're most compelled toward and purposely pursue the unmasked alternative. So, so as you look at like this side of the ladder, these masks, I just wonder for you personally, like which, you know, which one do you go like, yeah, man, I just, oh, status is so attractive to me. I'm just so compelled by that, you know? Or maybe for you, it's leisure. Like I just, man, I, I just love to like eat out and be served and just enjoy myself. Once again, nothing wrong with that. But you're just drawn to that. And then, Seek counsel, pray, seek the scriptures, what, change your behaviors. What does it look like to pursue the one on the opposite side, to move towards that instead? I'm going to uh, invite up Heath Johnson to uh, share with us a little bit of um, how, uh, Tim, I'll let you do it, all right, um, to share with us uh, how uh, this has looked in his own life to uh, take off the masks of riches. So 
Go ahead and go for it, Heath. Thank you, Eric. So David asked me to share a little bit of my personal journey with finances and how um, learning this lesson has impacted my life. Um, so I, for, for over six years, I've taught and facilitated uh, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. I mean, how many people here have taken that course? And every time I taught or facilitated the class, it, you know, we'd go through the videos and I'd watch it over and over and over again. And every time I'd pick up something new. But it took six years for this, for this one to have a heart change on me. Um, the last lesson in, in the course, Dave talks about the great misunderstanding. And he doesn't go into detail about what this misunderstanding is, but when you start really diving into it and thinking about it is when you, when you have you know, tithe towards a church, it's, you know, you're giving your money. But is it your money? Is it really? Right? It's, this is where the misunderstanding is. And, and Dave Ramsey, when he went through it, he, he, uh, he threw me a curveball. Um, and I had to wrestle with this for a while. What I learned is we are actually asset managers for the Lord, right? Eric's got all his stuff that the Lord's blessed him with here. And, and, and Eric manages this stuff, right? He has to take care of it. The Lord gave those things to him. And uh, Dave quotes some scriptures to, to kind of point this out. So one of the first ones here we can bring up on the slide is uh, Psalm 50. Let's kind of take a look at this. Um, so it says here, Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. So here's God actually rebuking Israel, his chosen people, Right? And he says, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. So he's like, I'm getting your tithes and your, your worship, but that's, that's not why I'm rebuking you. He says, your burnt offerings are continuously coming before me, and I, but I will not accept them. A bull from your house. You've got to think back to a bull from your house or goats from your folds. Those were currency for those people back in, in, in Israel. Those, that was their money. And here's God saying, I'm rejecting them, right? And why does he say that? He says, for every beast of the forest is mine. It's God's. The cattle on a thousand hills, it's all mine. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field, it's mine, right? We believe in the book of Genesis. God created all of it. It's all his. He says, if I were hungry, would I not tell you? Or I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. I do not eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats. But what does God really want from Israel instead of these sacrifices? He wants to be worshipped. He says, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of your trouble, right? If you're downtrodden and you're struggling financially, he says right here, call upon me in the day of your trouble and I will deliver you and you will glorify me. That's our calling, right? This is all his. And it took me six years of going through Dave Ramsey to really hear this message. 
one of the ways Dave Ramsey puts it in his lessons, he says, uh, God does not need my money. He doesn't need my tithe, right? It's not my tithe. If he really needed it, lightning would strike and there would be a greasy spot where I was sitting, right? He would just take it all. He's God. He's created all of it. It's all his. He can take it if he wants. I mean, Eric pointed that out as well. I can't emphasize that enough. For us personally, we, um, we've been working towards through the, through the uh, ability with our personal finances to, to complete uh, paying off our house. This is our last step, right? We're on the last step. So we've been laser focused with our finances following Dave Ramsey's course on paying off our house. And that was actually supposed to happen now, but then COVID happened and it fell off the tracks, right? But we're still on course. We had to give it up, that plan to do it now. And it's on track now for the spring, and I trust the Lord that we'll get there. But it's his. It's his property. It's his house. He'll pay for it. But uh, at the same time, don't, don't hear that I'm perfect at this, right? There's been times where I've been going through this lesson of climbing the ladder with everything and the Lord's spoken to us. We've been in a grocery store, and the person in front of us um, couldn't afford all their groceries, and they're trying to figure out what they can take off. And, and Le- Teresa leans over and says, we should pay for their groceries. And I, what happened? I let dignity and pride get in my way, and I said, no, 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 right? And, and the Lord's dealt with me on that, right? So I still struggle with this. And then when it comes to giving, sometimes the Lord asks us, Teresa and I had to go beyond what's even in our budget for the month, right? We're going, ouch, this is going to hurt, right? But at the same time, is it my money? It's not. It's his. So we give it all to him. So in this process, we have learned to give everything over to God, not just our finances, but also our house, our cars, our 401k, my job. Uh, it's all his. He just wants us to worship him, just like the psalm says. So going down this process personally has changed our perception of not only our worldview of ourselves, but also of others. We don't look at masks anymore. We don't see the masks, right? I don't look up to people that have more than I do, and I don't look down on people that have less than I do. It really has changed the perception of our world. We've removed that social, societal mask of status, and put it on a different mask. So I implore you to take off the masks that you carry with you. It'll change your world. It's changed our world drastically. And just worship him and give him the glory for everything. Amen. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Heath. Yeah. Let's praise God for Heath's story. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I'll invite the worship team to come on up. We're going to continue to uh, praise God for his faithfulness. Would you pray with me? Um, Why don't you go ahead and stand? Go ahead and stand, and uh, we're going to praise God for his his faithfulness. Let's pray. Um, Father, as we talk about uh, finances, about money, possessions, we just acknowledge that you are a generous God, that you're a lavish God. I think of uh, Romans 8, where you You say, how would he who's given up his only son for us not also graciously give us all things? You gave your son, Lord. You're generous, 
to us. Help us to be people who are generous. Help us to not be concerned about the perceptions of others in the areas of finances, but instead, God, to pursue the heart, to pursue an upright walk with you, righteousness and justice in your sight, to be people of integrity, God. Thank you for what you have entrusted us with. Help us to, to, to steward it well, God, for the joy of your people, for the joy of the world, Father. We ask that that would be the case, and for our joy as well, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.